Our scripture lesson is from Exodus 19, verses 3 to 7, and Exodus 21 through 17. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on an eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back down and some of the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who uses his name. Remember this Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that they may live in the long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nancy. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your words that come to us down through the centuries. Words that were spoken so long ago, but still have meaning for our lives. So open our ears, our minds, and our hearts this day to hear them anew. And may we respond to them in truth and in the spirit in which you intend, so that we can be your people in this world and beyond. For we pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. A recent survey showed that when asking Christians about the Ten Commandments, more than half could only answer, could only name four of them. 
This morning, Nathan admitted that he didn't know what they all wear, and I wonder if we had asked you on the way in, how many of you would have been able to name all 10 of them? You might remember some years ago, there was a controversy when Chief, Just, Chief Judge Roy Moore of Alabama came into office. He commissioned a large monument to be made that had inscribed on it some of the words from the Declaration of Independence, some quotes from the Founding Fathers, and yes, the Ten Commandments. Once the monument was finished, it was installed in the rotunda of the courthouse in Alabama. And as you might imagine, within days, a controversy ensued. It took three years for the legal system to resolve this controversy and to tell him that those, that monument needed to be removed. And when it was removed, it weighed, well, not when it was removed, when it was put up, it also weighed 5,280 pounds, but when it was removed, it was an astonishing sight. One commentator wrote at the time that that amounted to more than 500 pounds per commandment. What was even more astounding was once it had been removed, Judge Moore decided to take the monument on a public appearance road trip, but he had to hire a flatbed train, a tr flatbed truck, and a crane to move it. Joshua Green, writing in the Atlantic Monthly, stated, a 57-foot yellow I-beam crane drops down to retrieve the rock from its chariot. Even this one, a five-ton crane, buckles visibly under the weight. And perhaps this morning, as we think about these Ten Commandments, perhaps it feels like a heavy burden, a weight that we might buckle under if we take it too seriously. But they are important words for us to think about. And perhaps as we think about the Ten Commandments this morning, it helps us to understand their meaning and their significance if we remember a little bit about the time and the place where they were first received. Over these last few weeks, we have been talking and thinking about the relationship that God is in the process of establishing with the Israelite people. We've talked and read, if you remember, about the covenant that God established with Noah. And after the earth had been flooded, the promise, the promise never to flood the world again. We read about the covenant that God made with Abraham and Sarah, promised to make them parents long after their hopes of bearing a child had passed, and that they would bear not only a child, but a child from whom a great nation would be born. And then in the intervening years, we find that the Israelite people are taken into slavery in Egypt. They have become discouraged, disenfranchised, despairing, until God once again delivers them. He chooses Moses as their great leader to bring them out of that place of captivity and slavery. And he promises to lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land to call their own, a land to settle down in. Of course, we know that when Moses goes to the Pharaoh and asks for his people to be set free, it doesn't go quite as smoothly as he might have wished. It takes rivers of blood, plagues of frogs, gnats, locusts, flies, dying livestock, 
boils, hail, darkness, and finally, the killing of all the Egyptian firstborn before Pharaoh finally relents and allows Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And then, of course, as we found out last week, no sooner has he allowed them to leave than he changes his mind and he goes after them, leading us to the dramatic parting of the Red Sea that made for TV moment when Moses stands with his outstretched staff and the people walk between those parted waters, reaching safety before the waters crash over the Egyptian army hot in pursuit. These are epic level miracles. And so the Israelite people find themselves free, free from their oppressive captives, free from the fear of violence inflicted upon them, free to toil and labor, not for someone else, but for themselves. And they're given this new beginning. And what happens? Well, we learn pretty quickly that they get tired of this new life. They have a notion that their old one might have been okay after all. At least they had food to eat and shelters to return to. And now they find themselves alone in the desert with nothing. No food, no shelter, no seeming hope for the next day. And so God provides them with another miracle. Enough food for each day with manna and quail from heaven commanding them to only take what they need, not to store it, but to trust in God's provision anew each morning. Then, of course, that's quite not quite enough either. They get thirsty and begin to complain that they shall die out here in this desert. And again, God provides them, allowing Moses to bring water from a rock. And then they are attacked by an army and God delivers them. This is the backdrop. This is what happens immediately before Moses leaves them to go up the mountain, up Mount Sinai, all of this in the back of his mind. With this picture of deliverance already being shown towards the people from God. And when Moses descends from that mountain, he brings with him not 5,000 pounds of law that we need to be buckled under, but instead one of God's greatest declarations of love for the people. Did you notice early in the reading today when Nancy read from Exodus 19, we hear God saying to the people, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. Now if you obey me and fully keep the covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And then in the early part of Exodus, before we get to all those thou shalts and shalt nots, we hear God saying to the people, I am the Lord your God. God once again claiming the people as his own. God stating the people belong to him and reminding them, of the freedom that he has brought to their lives. The rest of the commandments flow from this declaration of belonging, from this statement of covenant and promise, from this statement of love. God wants to proclaim once again this single-minded devotion to the people, showing them, 
showing them in each of the commandments how precious they are, how loved they are. Now, of course, we could spend a week on each one of these commandments and only begin to unpack them, but we don't have the time for that. So today we're going to take all of them together. We're not going to go through each of them individually, but rather kind of, you know how you see those pictures where if you let your eyes sort of soften and loosen, you see something else. You see another picture emerge. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to kind of soften our view of these commandments and not look at them critically or individually, but we're going to look at them as a whole because these commandments are intended to inform God's people on how to live in relationship to God and one another. They're meant to show us that we are claimed by God, that we belong to God. They're meant to remind us of who we are and whose we are. And they're, inf- they're meant to inform the way that we relate to God and one another, a reminder to us of how we should live in community. When God says to the people, you should have no other gods before me, he's saying to the Israelites, there's no need for you to please or worship or bow down before the other gods of the day, of which there were many. He's reminding them that they belong only to him, just as he reminds them that they are free from the worship and tyranny of the many gods and idols that exist in the world. We don't have to please the God of success or power. We don't have to bow down to the image of the God of image and popularity. We are freed from the slavery of having to be smart enough, good-looking enough, rich enough to win God's favor. The commandments remind us that we live in a world that so often revolves around consumerism where we are taught to accumulate more and more to use more and more of the earth's resources for our pleasure. We live in a culture of rampant individualism that teaches us that everything is ours for the taking, even if it belongs to someone else, because God wants us to be happy, right? And all of that, all of that thinking deceives us. Like the Israelites, we find ourselves in the wilderness perhaps doubting God's provision for us. But God gives us the freedom, the physical freedom and the spiritual freedom to trust in the love that he brings. The first three commandments we could look at together and say, well, these concern our life in relationship to God. And then commandments five through 10 are concerned with our life with one another. And then right in the middle, that commandment about keeping the Sabbath holy. It's a commandment that both references God's need to rest in the midst of the creation of the world. God's resting at the end of creation and calling it holy. And also that reminder, if God needed to rest, then so too do we. When I first moved here 15 years ago and would visit people in Morristown Hospital, Several times I was caught unaware by the Sabbath elevator. Now, if you haven't experienced the Sabbath elevator, it automatically comes into operation at sundown on Fridays. And from sundown on Fridays to sundown on Saturday, it stops at every floor. 
thus meaning you don't have to work by pressing the button. Now at first, I thought that was just such a ridiculous thing. How could pressing the button on an elevator be thought as work? And on those occasions where I got into that Shabbat elevator unawares and not thinking, and when it would stop at every floor, both on the way up and on the way down, I would get agitated. I would get frustrated and would think to myself, oh, why, why does this have to stop on every floor? Now, Morristown Hospital is big, but it's not that big. It's not like 20 stories big, right? So it may be added, what, an extra minute to my day, my journey from the top floor to the, to the lobby area. And so I could find myself in the midst of my, in the midst of my anger at this elevator, right? My, my frustration at having been slowed down in my purpose my purpose to get to the patient or my purpose to get back home, I found myself slowly beginning to realize just how foolish I was being. Was my time really, really that important? That an extra 30 seconds or so in the elevator would really make that much difference? And so now sometimes on Fridays, if I'm there late in the day, I purposefully use that elevator it's a good reminder to me of just, I don't have to work all the time. God's got this. God will deliver me to the floor that I need to be on in God's time, not in mine. And I often think about that Shabbat elevator when I get into those frenzied places in my life where I think that I always need to be in control when I think that Everything has to run on my schedule. That's the purpose of the Sabbath commandment. It's not there to annoy us or to get us frustrated, but it's there to remind us, to remind us of God's provision and not to doubt God's love. It's there as a reminder that things happen in God's time and not always in ours. And then when we move on from that pivotal kind of commandment right there in the middle, we move on to these commandments that we perhaps do remember, the ones that we can recite. We are to be free from murder, from stealing and covetousness as ways to define our lives in community. Living in community means that we don't only view ourselves as God's treasured possession, but we also acknowledge that everyone with whom we share this life is also God's treasured possession. We are called, therefore, into a way of life that is built on respect and honor and integrity. Biblical scholar Tom Long writes, if we want to symbolize the Ten Commandments among us, we would do well to hold a dance. The good news of the God who set people free is the music. The commandments are the dance steps of those who hear it playing. The commandments are not weights, but wings that enable us, to, our hearts, to catch the wind of God's spirit and to soar. I wonder today, as you heard the words from God and the commandments read, 
Did you think of them as a 500 pound weight that you must haul around? Or do you hear the music of God's love and want to dance? Mark Twain once had a conversation with a religious scholar who remarked that he would like to be able to travel to the Holy Land and read the Ten Commandments on the top of Mount Sinai. Twain is said to have replied to the scholar, better to stay right where you are and live them. Whether or not you can recite the Ten Commandments, whether you can remember all of them and get them in the right order, doesn't really matter too much. It's better that you live the essence of them. Live in such a way that centers you in God's love as God's treasured possession and in turn calls you to live with that loving attitude to all those whom you encounter in your life. I pray today that as you leave this place, you will hear the music of God's love and you will dance those steps, dance your way out of this sanctuary and live those commandments here in this community. And then, and then each one of us in our own way, in our own time, in God's time, will live them in such a way that others might come to know too that they are God's treasured possession. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.